there are a lot of things happening this afternoon. I want to get I want to get right to what God has to say, what God is doing. We will have more to say a little later in the service about Queen for a Day and what God has done, what God is doing. I do want to say publicly, had it not been for Voice of Evangelism and a dear friend of Pastor Ron and I, Perry and Pam Stone, we could not have made it as effective and as special as it was. Pastor Ron had mentioned those that went out of their way. Almost everyone in this church, some way or another, touched Queen for a Day. I think the day will come we will stand before God and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I was having a little fun with my uh, message title this morning, and, and I was just thinking, what would be a cool way to title this? So I came up with The Three Amigos. And if you've not seen that movie, what a great, what a great movie, especially when they're singing at night. And, and uh, anyway, just so, but that wasn't adequate enough for the direction I wanted to go in. Then I thought about The Three Stooges. I thought that would be a great thought to entitle this message the Three Stooges because I love whoop, 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 I love the Three Stooges. But then I thought, well, maybe the Three Musketeers because we are all in this together. And I realized that wouldn't fit on the CD le le label, the Three Musketeers. So I decided to entitle this the Top Three. The Top Three. I know it's not as exciting as the Three Amigos, but if you're taking notes today, I got some scripture I want to share. Staff has been so kind to help us on the overhead. And we're going to look just for a moment at Matthew 11, 25. And I want to begin this session this morning by sharing with you the thought or the truth is that the Bible is for dummies. Look at somebody and say, the Bible is for dummies. We sometimes make the Word of God so complicated and so intricate and so, and so deep that we miss the very thought or the very theme of the Word of God. In Matthew 11, 25, we've got it, guys, where Jesus is talking to his disciples. And notice what he says. Can you see what he says? Yeah, the other Matthew 11, 25. Yeah, not that one. Here's what Jesus said. Look here, right here. Jesus said, Father, I thank you that you've hidden this stuff from the wise and the prudent and you revealed it to babes. Look at somebody and say, I am a babe, and the truth of God has been revealed to me. The Bible is also for stiff-necked people. Have you ever went to pick up a lizard? Anybody pick up a lizard and, and notice how the lizard just kind of curls on you a little bit like, like a snake? The Bible tells in Exodus 32 and 9. Do we have that scripture? Exodus 32 and 9. God speaking, he declares to a generation, you are a stiff-necked people. And you know, when you read the Word of God, especially maybe Hebrews or Lemon or, or some of the history books of the Bible, you ask yourself, how could the people of the Bible be so stupid? I mean, here the people of Egypt came out of Egypt with victory, came out of Egypt with promise. Can you imagine standing? And I have been there, and I've tried to imagine the Red Sea actually parting the way it did for, was it Charles Heston when he played Moses? And the, I, I mean, can you imagine being one of the four million leaving Egypt, leaving bondage, leaving all those hurtful things, and seeing your pastor smack the, the Red Sea, and all of a sudden the, wa the water just rolled back, and, and they, the Bible says they walked across on di dry ground. Every morning, quail and manna fell from heaven. When they got to a place where there was no water, they would strike the, walk, the rock and water would flow 
from the river. I remember on one particular occasion that they began to grumble and complain that they wanted to go back to the leeches and cucumbers of, of Egypt. Who would want to go back to something like that where you're eating manna and quail every day prepared in the ovens of heaven just for you? Look at somebody and say they were pretty dumb in the Old Testament. But you know, as you get a little closer into the books of the Bible and you look at the, 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 the relationship that Samuel had with God, the Bible says that Samuel went, oh, I forgot to tell you about the golden calf. Can you imagine seeing the Red Sea part and then all of a sudden the next day you're offering up sacrifice to a gold calf? How stupid is that? Look at somebody say, that is, that is pretty stupid. Then I look at the story of Samuel, how God performs miracles in Samuel's ministry. And Samuel goes to God and says, God, the people are rejecting me. You remember what God said? said no, they're not. They're rejecting me. Samuel, I don't judge you by results. I judge you by obedience. And aren't you glad today that we're not judged by results, but we're judged by being obedient to God? And God told Samuel, tell you what, Samuel, give the people what they want. And so Samuel raised up a king. And the next five books that follow, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and Judges, in 50 times in those five books of the Bible, God said the people did evil in the eyes of God. I mean, can you imagine God gloriously delivering, bringing victory over the enemy, entire armies falling to pieces at the presence of God's trumpet, and then the people turn right back around and go back to the things of the world? Well, we see those things in the Old Testament. Then we come into the New Testament, and we see the ministry of Jesus. He was not rebuking the drug addicts or the alcoholics or the poor. He was blessing them. Do you know who Jesus was rebuking? He's rebuking the Pharisee, the Sadducee, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and all of those actually came up with a plan to execute him because he was trying to do the right thing. I think I've got a scripture for that. Matthew 23, 13, I'll show you something if we have it. If we don't have it, I'll, I'll read it to you. In 20 verses of Matthew 23, notice what Jesus does. Seven times he calls them hypocrites. Twice he calls them blind guides. He calls them the sons of hell. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them snakes and a brood of vipers. And that's our church leadership in the New Testament. Does that excite anybody today to know how unbalanced the things of God were in the days of Christ? I got in my notes here, this message is so simple that an eight-year-old can understand and read the things of God and know what God has for us. Two of the top truths are found in Matthew 22 and 34. Have we kind of got it together there, guys? Matthew 22 and 34. Notice here the, the, the passage of Scripture, and I'll, I'll try to kind of quote this from memory. But the Bible says, a certain lawyer came to Jesus to try to trap him and to trick him because Jesus had shut down the Sadducees. The Sadducees had a committee. They came to Jesus to try to shut him down. He shut them down with the Pharisees regrouped and said, we're going to try to catch Jesus in, in some kind of typo, something that we can do to justify his condemnation and his crucifixion. And notice what he does. I'm going to go over and read it with you. And when the Pharisees had heard, hey, I don't need my glasses. I've been healed. And when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Next verse. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, saying, the next one, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Notice what Jesus does. Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. 
The next verse. This is the first and great commandment. Next verse. Look at something and say, and. The two are equal. You see this? Watch this. And the second is like, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. What is, what is the great commandment? How do we inherit eternal life? We're going to look in a minute. And here's what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. I don't know that all dogs go to heaven, because I'm not sure they have a soul. But I know that everyone in this house, you have a soul. Your soul was created to live forever. You'll either live forever in the presence of God, or you'll exist forever in the presence of hell. There is no nirvana. There is no, there's no medium. There's no, there's no fence. You either go left or you go right, one or the other. And here's what God is saying about the spiritual things in your life. Your soulish man that is tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life needs to try to reject those things and begin to pursue the things of God that your soul may be saved. Look at somebody and say, my spirit is saved, my heart is saved, but it's my soul I'm having problems with. I just turned 56. I've been, I've been living for the Lord 31 years. I actually now have been living more for God than I have for the enemy. Can anybody relate? Are you there with me? Been living more for God than for the enemy. But yet I still sometimes think things I shouldn't think, say things I shouldn't say, do things I shouldn't do. Now, I don't go places I shouldn't go because it's a small city and somebody would catch me. But the, the, top, the top three, I'm probably guilty of. And there will be events that will take place in my life, and I will say, why in the world did I say that? Why in the world did I do that? Why in the world did I let my mind go there? Can anybody relate? Because I am in the process of having my soul saved. It's called sanctification. When Jesus looked at Peter, Peter just said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter had performed miracles. Peter had done great things for God. But here's what Jesus said. Peter, Satan desires to sift thee as wheat. But when thou art saved, thou will be a light to thy brethren. And you remember, it was Peter that stood up on Pentecost, preached the first Pentecostal sermon, 5,000 decisions for the Lord that day. Something actually happened to Peter. He made a decision. I share this at every youth camp that I am privileged to greet, and I make this statement. Most of us, our entire juvenile, adolescent life, as a child, as a teenager, we worship the God of our mother or our father. How many can relate to mom and dad took you to church? They picked the church. They decided where they sit in the church. They decided how much they gave. They decided what Sunday school you went to. They decided, can anybody relate? So we, we grew up learning the God of our mother and our father. And what happens a lot of times when a young person graduates from high school and goes directly into college, college is scary. In high school, they keep roll college and give a flip whether you go or not. In high school, they would monitor you. College can care less what, you know, if, if you pay your bill, that's all they're concerned about. And if you show up for the test, you might get a grade. College doesn't care if you smoke, drink, party. They don't care if you stay up all night long. They don't care. They don't care what you do. You understand that? And so when kids go from high school into college, if they don't have their own relationship with God, if they're not careful, they'll get lost by the wayside. 
And thank God for a youth group that teaches who God is and what God is and teaches worship and teaches praise and teaches honor. Thank God for a youth group that does that. And I hope our kids are, are grasping what they are learning because God has a desire early in life, say this, early in life, to save your soul. See, if your soul gets saved early in life, then you don't do a bunch of stuff that mentally you're always combating. When we have our our meeting on Thursday night, before we have our meeting, we pray, Lord, don't let the enemy hear anything that he can come back later and beat us up with. And we get to share our testimony, how God delivered us from drugs and different alcohol. Those are all events that daily some of us have got to live with. Every day we battle the thought that we dropped the ball in high school. Every day we battle the thought that we had an abortion or we were divorced or we were on drugs or jail or prison or felonies or crime. Can anybody relate? Thank God for a young person that goes straight from high school to college, spirit-filled, gets married, has kids, never does drugs, never has, does alcohol, does not have soul ties up to their eyeballs. Come on, I'm preaching better and you're nodding. And we, we, want, we, want to, we want to believe that our kid's soul can be saved early in life. Our heart gets right, our mouth gets right. Our soul gets right, our spirit gets right. And watch this. If what you think in your mind, whatever you think, Proverbs 23 and 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So here's what God's wanting to do. He wants to heal your mind. He's wanting to heal your soul. He wants to heal your heart. He wants you to be that what he's called you to be. And then when you accomplish that, he said, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I cannot tell you today, I cannot explain to you today how much I love myself. I love myself. I think I'm all that in a bag of chips. I recently bought some product, and it's, it's a hassle, but every morning I get up and I shave and I put this stuff on my face, and it dries, it has to stand there for two minutes, and then I, and then I wash it off, and then I get this little, Pat Pastor on gave me this little gauze thing, square thing, and it, I dip the bottle on it, and I, and, I, and I do that, and then I take this cream stuff, and, I, and there's a little cream just for my eyes right here. I do that every morning, and then at night, I add another step. At night, I do this other product, and then I take this scraper thing, my jigger, and I, and I scrape my face this way, then this way, then I go at the angle. Now, I don't know if it's helping or not, but I feel like, uh, and I hate to be crude, but I feel like my blackheads are disappearing. So if it's not doing anything else, at least it's getting rid of my blackheads. Now, they tell me that if I keep doing this for three months, that I will look 40. And if I don't look 40, I can get all my money back. And it was a bunch of money. And I've just found out now that Pastor Ron and I are going to start doing Juice Plus. That's where you don't have to eat your daily requirement of vegetables. You don't have to eat your daily requirement of fruit. In four tablets, you put it in your hand, you put it in your mouth, and voila. I'm, I'm like Adam and Eve living in the garden, eating all the wonderful fruits, all the wonderful things. I spent a great deal of time today coordinating my clothes. I wanted to make sure my belly didn't stick out. The shirt looked good. The only reason I'm wearing a shirt under this shirt, you can see the shirt, so I don't want to embarrass anybody. So I have a shirt under the shirt. I don't have socks on. I never wear socks. I save money in my budget. I have to buy socks or wash them. It's really quite economical when you think about it. And then I, I looked at my hair today and decided Leanne needs to cut it again. It's a little long. But I, I really think that I'm all that in a bag of chips. Yesterday, I went to Walmart for nothing, really nothing, spent $100 on nothing. I'm a scary. I go to Walmart and say, thing. I can't live. I've got to have this in my life. They wash my truck. They detail. They fix my speakers. I turn the lights on. I, I put in Foreigner. And I rolled down the windows and did hot blood in the whole neighborhood. And I, I, just, I just think that I'm pretty cool. I just think that I'm, 
Well, here's what the Lord says. I am to love you as much as I love myself. And then I think, maybe I don't want to love myself that much. I don't want to spend a bunch of time on people that I don't really care about. I mean, what a sense of humor that God has. It's like, he said, okay, I want you to love yourself. That's all great and wonderful. Then I want you to love somebody else as much as you love yourself. That's scary. My definition of the word love, I've been doing this a long time, weddings, funerals, all the dedications, all the public speaking. My definition of the word love is this. When you tell somebody, I love you, or you ask somebody, do you love me? My definition of love is, love is the desire for and delight in another's highest good, regardless of personal price or sacrifice. Now, that's the definition of the word love. And when you say, I love you, you're saying that you will go out of your way, do whatever it takes to make me happy, to bless me, no matter what it costs you or how it affects you. That's what you say when I love you. Can I have your hand in marriage? Will you marry me? That's what you're saying. And I think if some of us had that definition a long time ago, we may not have believed all the con and all the, what's that term I don't like to use, that term. We wouldn't have believed all that stuff. We'd have realized God has something better for us. God has a pastor that's building you a man. If you'll wait long enough, we'll build, Pastor Dave and I will build you a godly man. They're out there still. And if you, if you stop falling for the first thing to give you a little bread or a little crumb foam, foam with your mouth, if you, just, if you just wait a while for something, there's no, God could give you somebody like me. How cool would that be? I mean, how awesome would that be? So here's what he said. It's so simple that an eight-year-old can understand it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as we focus on what happened here yesterday, if you're listening by, if you're listening by podcast or by CD, we regret you did not see this sanctuary yesterday was not a sanctuary. It was a hospital. And let me tell you what happens at a hospital, whosoever shows up. It's not unusual for me to minister and someone with AIDS to show up. That's not unusual. It's not unusual for someone to, to show up that has AIDS. It's not unusual for someone to show up that has lice. It's not unusual for me to minister to a transsexual or transvestite. That's what the kingdom is all about. That's what whosoever is all about. And what we've got to be careful now that God has taken us from where we are to where we are now, we've got to make sure we don't have a judgmental, judgmental, critical attitude about someone that doesn't dress like us or look like us or they are like us. If they hang around us long enough, they might become like us, which could be scary if you're judgmental and critical. There was a season in the life of Jesus when he went to church. And how many knows it? There's times when the Lord goes to church. And that day when at church, all he saw was crookedness in politics. All he saw was they were, they were illegally exchanging money. And he said, my father's house will not be a den of thieves. And he got an attitude. And he started kicking over tables, started walking in, 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 a, in an aggressive manner. And everybody that was doing wrong split. You know what the very next verse says? The very next verse. And all the halt and all the lame and all the maim walked into the house of God and got healed. As, as were such as some of us. Don't forget where God brought you from. You don't always dress right. You don't always put the right thing in your body. You don't always look right. But 20 years later down the road, here you are, you're arrived. And I hope you can see that God now is doing it all over again. I would love a church full of whosoever's. I love a church full of drug addicts, alcoholics, transsexuals. Trans I, I would love that because that gives us something to do. We can be judgmental, critical, and condemn them. 
or we can turn around and love them as we love ourselves. We judge others for their actions. We judge ourselves for our intentions. Come on now. And a lot, a lot of times we will overlook some of the flaws in our life because we can focus on the flaws of others' lives. I promise you, if you live with me for about three, three days, you would find maybe one, rarely two, things you do not like about me. It is true. I hate to, I hate to acknowledge that. There are things you probably would not like about me. Let me tell you something. I've been in your life a long time. There's a whole bunch of stuff I don't like about you. But if I will take the time to fix what's in me, help me. Gandhi said, I don't reject your God. I reject your Christians. What a scary mindset that people don't want to serve God and love God because we're so critical and judgmental. But we were as some, Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. I've dropped the ball more than anybody else. I die daily to sin, but God has taken me from where I was to where I am now, and I'm pressing towards the mark. I'm not finished. I'm still going in that direction because God's not done. I don't care how old you are. I told this to Grandma Carolyn a few years ago. I don't care you're 81 years old. God's still doing some stuff working in your life. And he will work until we die, and then we will be all that that he intended for us to be. Someone say amen. amen. So we look, at this, we look at this attitude of Christ, and in Matthew 25, 33, this is what's going to be scary. Scary, scary, scary. He is going to separate the goats from the sheep. The way you determine a goat, a goat's body language is always, nah, do that with me. Nah, N-A-A-A-A-A, do we? Nah, you try to teach a goat, nah. You try to confront a goat, nah. You try to discipline a goat, nah. I mean, goats are stupid. They will do stupid things. Do Pastor Condor have a stupid goat? I mean, goats are stupid. They're stupid like pig. A sheep, look at a sheep and go, bah, B-A-A. If you correct a sheep, their attitude is bad, but they'll go with you. You try to collect a, correct a goat, it's nah, and they're out there to start their own Bible study and do their own thing. Come on, I'm preaching good now. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats right down the middle, and then here's what he's going to say to the sheep. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. I've been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over, enemy, over many. And watch the six things, six days of the week. Watch the six things that Jesus is going to reward us for. Are you ready? Here they are. I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Here's what's scary. In Luke 4, the Bible says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He stayed there 40 days, tempted 40 days and nights. The enemy tried to take him down, trash him, tried to let him walk in spiritual pride, all kinds of things. He passed the test, and when he came out of the wilderness, the Bible says he was full of the Holy Ghost and power. And the first place he went was to church, picked up the book, and this is what he read. He read Isaiah 58, which talks about all of the fasting. You're doing the fasting out of order. But here's why Jesus said he came to this nation. Six things. Are you ready? How, how ironic. I came to preach the gospel to the poor. I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to set at liberty the captives. I came to re recovery of sight of the blind. I came to deliver the oppressed. And I came to proclaim the year of the Lord. Now, what is so scary is that the very thing that Jesus came to do, he said, I'm going to the Father. All authority, both in heaven and earth, has been given to me. Now, you go in my name. Help me. 
Matthew 28 and 18, you go in my name, you preach the gospel, you heal the sick, you raise the dead, you cast out demons. The story, God gave all authority to Jesus. He came to earth, gave all authority to us, went back to heaven, and now is backing up everything that we declare. Oh, you missed that. Life and death is in the power of your mouth. And the things that you're saying, God will either. He said, whatever you bind in earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose in earth is loose in heaven. So Jesus is not going to come down here and do it for you. He gave you all authority, both in heaven and earth, has been given to me. Now you go in my name. You preach the gospel. You do these things. Somebody ought to be excited in this place. Amen. We got a church that's fasting for all the wrong reasons, doing all the wrong things. And Jesus being correct, he said, listen. If you're doing my work, there's going to be strangers around. Not once, not twice, Courtney can tell you probably three times a week, somebody will show up at this door wanting help because of the Greyhound uh, ticket guy. The Greyhound ticket guy loves me. And every time somebody comes here and has a hard story, and he believes them, we've talked, he sends them over here. The other day I went to do something and he didn't charge me. And I said, you know what? You should be doing this more often. You're costing me 100 bucks every time you send somebody. I've hear, I hear every story there is. I've got to get back to here. I've got to do this. I've got some we help, some we don't. But the Bible says there are strangers that are going to show up in your life, and you've got to be connected enough to God to know whether to help them or not. The guy standing on the side of the freeway will work for food? No, he won't. No, he won't work. No, I've stopped, rolled down the window. And I'll, say, I'll give you $20 an hour to come sweep our parking lot. Well, I was in Vietnam, and I stepped on a lap. I'm, I, hello, or what, whatever. I'm not making fun, but it has been a document of fact. Those people on the side of the freeway make thirty dollars to $35,000 a year in contributions that we give them with money we could be doing other things with. Come on. Should I tell my Keith Dudley drunk story? I got time. Keith and I were in Bakersfield, California, preaching revival early Sunday morning, went into the, went into the restaurant, there was a drunk there, he asked for some money. So Keith and I decided we were going to feed him. So we brought him, I think it was a Denny's restaurant. We bought him in, we got him eggs, we got him bacon. He went to the bathroom a couple of times, bummed cigarettes there and back, got enough cigarettes to last a day. And then we got ready to go pay the check. And the, and the drunk guy stood up, looked at us, said, thank you for the food, and then threw up all over the, the other people's table. In our table, it was, their, it was their table. And so we, the manager asked us not to come back. And so we took, our, we took our guy with us, and we, we took him where he wanted to go. And I looked at Keith, and I said, Keith, next time, just tell me to give him money. <laughs> I know some of you missed that. There are strangers that God will bring into our life that we got to be discerning enough to realize they could possibly be angels. There could have been angels in this house yesterday, and it probably it was the one with lice. Or it could have been the one that looked like a transsexual. Or it could have been the one that looked like that they got run over by a railroad train. I mean, you never, God does not put pretty things in our life and say, bless them. God says, bless whosoever. Okay, so we're to minister strangers. In the summer, on Wednesday, when the people gather back here, we give them bottled water to bless them. In the winter, we give them hot chocolate. Jesus said, I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. We try to have the food pantry open every other Wednesday night. People line up. We try to give food away. Yesterday, there were people that get, get, got food. I was naked, and you clothed me. I don't, I don't know that he means literally naked like a like Black Beach in San Diego. It's a nude beach. I think, I think it's people have lack of clothes. 
we give them clothes and clothe them so they can do what they need to do. He he makes it so simple. He doesn't make it really difficult. It's so simple a dummy can figure out. And our church provides ways for us to feed the hungry. Our church provides ways for us to clothe the, 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 the naked. And it's time that some of us actually got a grip and got a picture of we're going to stand before God one day, and God's going to say, well done, you've done great. And we say, God, when did I do great? When you did it to the least of these, when you bought two boxes of macaroni, when you brought a bottle of water, when you gave four hours of your day to Queen for a day, you did it for the least, I'm going to do more. I, I'm telling you, I told Pastor Ronnie yesterday, we're going to stand before God one day and say, oh, so that's what you meant. Oh, let me go back again. Let me, let me go back and try it again. There's no second chances. Only one life. This is the window. This is the, this is the day of opportunity. This is the, the time that God has provided for us to get involved in kingdom. It will never be like this again. It never will be. It will never be this sensitive, this, this intricate. It'll never be this detailed again. I personally believe a world revival is coming. I believe the wealth of wick is about to be dispersed upon the righteous. I believe we're going to see a revival that not hundreds, but hundreds of thousands to come back into the kingdom, the glory of God. And we better know how to facilitate them. If you've never facilitated 100 guests, 100 workers, and everything else, you you have no idea. It takes weeks, months, hours to figure all this out. But if we can be faithful in the little thing, just think what God will do when we step out and decide to declare a nation for the glory of God. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we called, if we just declared that Yandi Cameroon belongs to God, or Njimina Chad, or Lagos, Nigeria, just one city. If we just say, we declare this city belongs to Jesus, and everybody that lives in it is going to get saved, sanctified, and filled with heaven's sweet Holy Ghost. How cool would that be? Do you have that courage? See, if you can't be faithful in little things, see, there are some people They'll skirt around the edge and they'll do the very minimum. I'll just do the very minimum. I don't think it's the minimum people that's going to ask of me, and I will give you nations as an inheritance. God is saying, the nations are out there, the fields are white and the harvest. Ask of me, I'll let you have it. But be faithful in the little things. What little things? Love me. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, of course, then the question is asked, well, who is our neighbor? I think I got that here somewhere. Let me back up. Go and make disciples in my name. We will do this at the conclusion of the service. But I have here in this manila envelope 47 certificates of 47 of you in this house that have taken a 12-week course Living on purpose. How many remembers of Wednesday night is our Sunday school? Wednesday night is the night that we try to teach you how to make disciples and how to be what God has called you to be. 47 of you, the past 12 weeks, have been faithful and have actually learned something about how to live the way God wants you to live, how to do what God wants you to do. I got a text this week from a young man wanting to be a pastor. He said, what would you recommend? I said, I would go to the library. I buy Frank DiMaggio's book on the making of a leader. I would digest it. I would devour it. I would memorize it. I would know everything there was to know. I was reading a story about a World Vision pastor that went into somewhere in Uganda, way back in way back in the in the mountains. A, a, a local pastor had 83 people in his congregation had one Bible, one Bible. I walked into a Bible store yesterday that probably had 
thousands of different authors, hundreds of different authors, thousands of different ministry tools. And I'm thinking, that guy is rocking his village with one Bible. we got all these helps, Christian television, all these classes, everything, and we can't even make it to church on time Sunday morning. Woo, look at somebody and say, he's talking to you, I was here early. Go ahead. He said, John 20 and 21, do we have that? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. My second trip to Port-au-Prince took eight kids with me. I took a married couple that were going to get a divorce when they came back from the trip. I took my dad. I took six teenagers. When we got there, our luggage didn't make it. So I had four girls I didn't see for two days because they had the face thing. They couldn't do the face thing. There was no air conditioning. The 105 in the shade. They have a little honeymoon suite kind of thing. So we put the young married couple in that. That was 31 years ago. They are still married today, serving full time at church in Marietta. How cool is God? Every single person I took with me today, 30 years later, is in full time ministry, raising up sons and daughters that are in full time ministry. When we came, when we left Port-au-Prince, Haiti. We got there, I feel God in this place, we got there with no luggage, and we left with no luggage. We gave every single thing we had away, everything, every pair of socks, every tie, cassette recorder, camera, everything that we had, we gave it away. And I wish I could take this church just and let you spend 24 hours at Sydney Simone. Sydney Simone is the dump of Port-au-Prince. 70,000 people live in the dump, eat off what's thrown away. What would people that are dying of starvation, what would they throw away? Can you imagine 70,000 people going through that kind of dump and trying to feed themselves? Every day the truck drives down the road and they throw bodies up in the truck. Those that died that day from starvation. Today we will eat well. Today we will take doggy bags. Our dog will eat better today than one billion people of the world. And Jesus told us to feed them. And I don't know how to do that. I know how to feed a neighborhood. I know how to feed a community. But he said, ask of me. I'll let you feed the nation. I'll let you minister the nation. How can we go to the next place that God has for us? I'm not sure how to do that. But I do want to bring to your attention in closing. I had a couple more thoughts. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at this. Everybody knows the story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, I think 35. A certain lawyer came to Jesus, trying to trick him, and said, Master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? As you get older, you think more and more about life after death than you do when you're young. When I was young, I was invincible. I barefoot water skied. I surf naked. You don't need to go there, I guess. You couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't hurt me. I raced bikes, jumped off of cliffs. As I got older, I realized I wasn't as invincible as I was when I was young. And now that I'm older, if the clock from 12 to 12 represents my life, it's about 9.30 at night for me. I don't have a whole lot of time to do what God has called me to do. Now, if you're 17 or 18, it's only like 11.20 for you guys. But me, I'm, a little, I'm closer to midnight than I am to 
Are, are you with me? So the older you get, the more you start reflecting about living forever. Eternity. Is there really an eternity? And if there is, what do I, what do, I do to get it? And Jesus said to him, what does your phylactery say? It's a new word. Everybody say phylactery. Those that thought they were spiritual and religious on their wrist, instead of a watch, they wore a banner that said that scripture, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Some of them wore it as a headpiece. Some of it had it nailed to the doorpost. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So Jesus said, what does your, what does your wristband say? What it, my, my wristband says freedom. I had another one that represents Courtney's virginity. She hasn't lost her virginity. I just lost the bracelet. So how I will get the bracelet back. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What does the word say? Well, I should love thy neighbors. And, 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 uh, and she said, well, that's what you do. Question number one, what shall I do to inherit eternity? Jesus answered the question. Then the, the rich guy, the, the, the lawyer says this. And who is my neighbor? And in one short, do we have that, guys? I'm going to have some fun with this. Luke 10, 25 through 35. Let's let this story be the story. Let's let this story be the only story you need to know in the entire Bible. Can we do that? Next verse. Next verse. Next verse. Next verse. Willing to justify himself, Senator Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Is the guy that lives next to me? Is the guy I work with? The guy I ride with? Is it my boss? Is it my employee? Is it my buddy? Who, who is my neighbor? What's this? And Jesus answering said, a certain man. Look at the passage just for a minute. This is not a parable. He did a lot of parables in his ministry. But this is, not, this is a certain man. This man really did live. He really did exist. Let's call this man Adam. Not just a certain man, the, the first man. A certain man, Adam, went down from Jerusalem, which represents the place or the house of God. Let's call it the Garden of Eden to Jericho. Jericho represents the world. A certain man, Adam, lost his relationship with God, was cast from the Garden of Eden, and found himself in the world. Fell among, he fell from position, fell among thieves. Notice plural. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He fell among thieves, and notice what the thieves did. They stripped of him his robe of righteousness, his garment of praise. Are you with me? And left him half dead. What do you mean half dead? Remember the princess bride? He's not dead. He's almost mostly dead. And there, there's a difference between dead and mostly dead. But can I tell you, half dead, when Adam ate and disobeyed that day, he died spiritually. He lost his connection with God. He lost that ability to be in the garden. He lost that ability to worship God. He died spiritually the day that he ate of that fruit. So they left him half dead, 
and by chance there came a certain priest, which represents sacrifices. Listen, it's not the blood of bulls and goats that pays for your eternity, but it's the blood of a Savior. So notice this, the sacrifice couldn't help him. And then all of a sudden, a certain Levite came by. Levite represents the law. There's nothing in the law that can redeem you from your sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the priest couldn't help him. The Levite couldn't help him. But notice who ponders. But a certain, everybody say certain. Just call him Jesus. The Samaritan was a curse. He came as a curse to hang upon a tree to die for the sins of the world. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, watch, he was headed somewhere. The day he was born, he had Calvary on his mind. He said in the garden, Father, let this cup pass from me. But what shall I say? I came into this world for this hour. He came to die that we might live. He came and became poor that we might become rich. He came and laid everything down that we could pick everything up. What a savior he was. He was headed somewhere. And he found where he was. He found him. Let me tell you, I used to say, I found God when I was 16. God wasn't lost. I was lost. He found me. God came to where I was. He made himself real to me. I had my own relationship with God at a very early age because God found me. And I accepted that finding. Found where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. I want to tell you something, when God sees you, there's a love in his heart that goes out. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice what happens. This, this Christ on a cross sees a man, comes to where he is, and he ministers to him oil. Everybody say anointing and wine. Everybody say joy. Two things God wants you to have in your relationship. He wants you to be anointed, and he wants you to walk in joy. And he set him on his beast. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. God has given us the Holy Ghost to take us where we need to be, what we need to be doing. And notice where the Holy Ghost takes you. He takes you to church. He takes you to the innkeeper. He takes you to the inn. And there's room at the inn. Aren't you glad that there's room at the cross for you? Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross. Takes him to the inn. Cares for him there in the church. He was here this morning. He was in this place. He was walking up and down these aisles. He was touching Rick. He was touching Tiffany. He was touching everyone that has a need in their life physically and spiritually. He was walking in this place. He brought him to the inn. He cared for him. And then he gave the innkeeper two pence, which, by the way, is enough wages for room and board for two days. A day with the Lord of a thousand years, he gave the church enough finances for two days. He said, if you spend more when I come again, I want to tell you something. He will come again. He cares about his church. He cares about you. He cares about your involvement. And when he comes again, he will say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. You've cared for the sick. You've cared for the destitute. You've cared for those that nobody else wanted. And now I'm going to make provision. I'm going to pay you double for what you spent in the kingdom. He is coming. Why do I know he's coming? Because I have a contract here that said he'd be born a virgin. Let the record show up. It said he'd be born a virgin. He was born a virgin. 
I have a contract here that said he'd be born of the house of David. Let the legacy show he was born of the house of David. This book said he'd be born in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. This book said that he'd be wonderful, counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. Three years of ministry, that's exactly what he did. They said he'd come from Nazareth. He came from Nazareth. The Bible said he'd be betrayed by a friend. Judas betrayed him. He'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He was sold. That vinegar would be placed at the cross. He'd be crucified between two thieves. He was crucified two, two three. He rose from the dead the third day. I want to tell you, he is risen. He is risen indeed. And he's coming back for a people that's watching and waiting for him. That should excite somebody in this house. I conclude with the entire mindset of the church right now. Acts 1 and 8. This is my personal opinion. He's standing in their midst. He ministers them. Tells him what he's going to do. Next verse. And he's caught up in the clouds. Go to verse 11. Angels come to where he's at. Says this to the church. Why are you standing around doing nothing? Why are you gazing? Why are you... Why are you he told you to love him with all your heart, your mind. Learn, learn how to do that. Become a disciple. And he told you to love your neighbor. What are you doing for your neighbor? And he told you to go. The last commandment is to go in the world and make disciples, teaching, taking them all things that I've taught you. But I think a lot of us are just kind of standing around. We're here, but we're not really involved because of whatever reason. Young lady had the opportunity to go to England, and she was a guest of the queen for a week. There she ate the queen's food, sat at the king, queen's table, slept in the mansion, saw everything there was to see, saw the changing of the guard, saw all the wealth of England. One particular meal, a mouse ran in the, the room they were all eating, and the queen got up on the chair. Young lady came back to America. They asked her, what did you see? What did you see in England? Of all the things she could have said that she saw, the changing of the guard, the wealth of the, of the, of the throne room, all, all, the, all she could remember was the mouse under the chair. If, if, if all you can remember about church hurts your feelings, or all you can remember about church wounds you, and you miss all the good that God is doing, you'll never get a grip in the kingdom. You'll take your stuff, the same stuff you brought with you is the same stuff you'll take with you somewhere else because where you go, there's going to be people and where there's people, there's problems. He came as a problem solver, gave us the ability to love those that no one else loves, care for those that nobody else wants to care for, and one day it's going to reward us for our effort. Our little box of macaroni and cheese and our box of Luxie Charm cereal, one day we'll stand before God and be like God and rule as God because we sowed a box of macaroni and cheese. How tough is that? I conclude with, hold on, he'll pick me up. Mm. Those of you listening to my podcast, that was not a Miller, the Red Bull. Titus 2 and 13, looking for that blessed hope and the great appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read a phenomenal quote yesterday. 
can't remember who said it. But this is what the quote said. Live your life as if he was crucified yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. Live your life. Guys, get ready to graduate. Seth, Hayden, all of our kids, get ready to graduate. What a what an honor, what a what a what a privilege. But God is telling you, live your life like he died on the cross yesterday. You heard today he was risen and he's coming back tomorrow. If we lived like that, how much more productive, how much more effective. We'd have less time to gripe and complain. We'd have more time to do things for the God. He's coming soon. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. We, we, we can miss all this stuff about the great revival. Maybe the revival will take place after the rapture. I don't know. Can you imagine? What happened tomorrow morning? Girls, if you got up and went to the whole palace and Pastor David and Connie weren't there. I know what I would have done. I would have called my grandmother. If she answered the phone, I wouldn't be worried. Oh, come on, you've never been there. How many have been there? How many have been there? What if I miss the rapture? How will I know? Well, I'll call Grandma Carolyn because she's a, as close as I know to Jesus. If she answers the phone, I'm okay. But if she answers the phone, we're in trouble. I've got to find somebody else. Are, are you, are you, I mean, imagine living your life as if, guys, this could be the last afternoon that I've got to live for the glory of God. What are you going to do with your last afternoon? I'm going to take a group of young people to Lake and I'm going to mentor them and teach them how to ride the knee board and hopefully show them things of God that they'll have a better picture of God than they did than when they came this morning. Is that, is that all right? Everything I do, I want to be effective in the, and, and Bryce is going to help me. He's going to grill the hamburgers. We pray for those listening by podcast, watching by DVD. In this house today, God, you have moved, you have ministered, we felt your presence, we felt you touch. But it's not just about us. It's not just about us making us feel good, us being blessed, us receiving your, your miracles and your favor. Lord, I believe it was Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, that ran and got Peter and said, come see the man. Come see what God is doing. Come see a move of God. Lord, let that anointing be upon us that we would leave this house this next week and we would share with somebody, come to Harvest, come to a Bible study, come to a road home meeting, come to a Sunday morning service, come, come to a men's prayer. See what God is doing. Use us to get others involved. Use us to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Use us to make the disciples. Raise us, teach us on Wednesday nights what we need to learn, what we need to do. Let us during the week practice and on Sunday come and introduce to the pastor those we led to the Lord that week or the things that we did for you that week. Let it not be a bragging or a spitting contest, but let it be all about you. For you said, by our testimony and by the blood of your son, we overcome the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen.